Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at weneeddiversebooks.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Nana Nkweti. Nana Nkweti is a Cameroonian-American writer, AKO Kane Prize finalist, an Iowa Writers' Workshop alum, whose work has garnered fellowships from McDowell, Ucross, Kimbilio, and Clarion West Writers' Workshop. Her debut collection, Walking on Cowrie Shells, features elements of mystery, horror, myth, and graphic novels to showcase the complexity and vibrance of African diasporic cultures and identities, ultimately serving as a counterpoint to prevalent Heart of Darkness writing that too often depicts a singular African experience plagued by locust hunger and tribal infighting. The work is a most anticipated book selection for Brittle Paper, The Millions, and The Rumpus. Here's Nana Inkweti, reading from Walking on Cowrie Shells. Hello, I'm Nana Inkweti, and this is a selection from my forthcoming collection, Walking on Cowrie Shells, and this is The Devil is a Liar. There are hymns, there are hymns, there are hymns, there are hosannas, there are hallelujahs. There are some who are struck dumb in his presence and those who are newborn linguists speaking in tongues. Eyes roll heavenward, limbs grow palsied, tears of joy, of penitence, of defiance are shed. Through this sound, this fury, Sister Gloria Ngassa, Minister of Music for the New Africa International Church of the Holy Redeemer Brooklyn Battalion, is praying fervently. Her words are incantatory, fevered. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Alpha and Omega. Thank you, O Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jehovah Jireh. Thy will be done. Glory glorifies, praises, honor, and magnifies the Almighty for the miracle he has wrought in the life of her daughter, Constance. Her voice once sotto voce rises, then rises again as she sways to the unsung chorus that moves the faithful 20-person flock present for service that Sunday morning. And faithful they were to this fledgling church, its sanctuary, the front room of a dusty Brooklyn apartment, a donated space still under a slow-going renovation, which spanned from Easter Sunday the year prior into an unknown future, until the end of days, perhaps. The congregation is sanguine in their shared burdens, tried and tested they will not be found lacking. So one had to watch one's steps on the unfinished floorboards, a mere reminder that Jesus himself was a carpenter, a man who knew the grain of cedar, of poplar, of acacia, and even of the bitterest wormwood. So the single pane windows were unsealed and unshielding, their transparent tarps fluttered in the draft like a host of angels' wings. 
Yes, the congregants of the New African Church of the International Holy Redeemer know that they are blessed. Their leader, man of God, Pastor Godlove Akondang, had journeyed all the way from church headquarters in Cameroon to share his special anointing. That very moment, the good pastor is laying hands on the forehead of Brother William, timbering all six feet of the man into the waiting arms of Sister Anna, chanting, By the Spirit of Christ, by the body of Christ, by the blood of Christ, raining down rapid fire, holy fire, to break the ancestral curses that had kept the good brother from receiving his promotion, his increase. And now music, now songs of praise and thanksgiving. Glory knows the power of church music. In over 30 years of searching for a church home, she had been to many houses of worship and had come to know the quality of a church, not by the size of the hats on the church ladies' heads or the crisp white gloves of its ushers. She knows a church by its music, by the way its people raise their voices in gratitude. Praise Jesus! She knows the Pentecostals love a good tambourine, a jangly rejoicing while Catholics crave holy hush, hums of contemplation, while the Southern Baptists were ones for gamboling and holy rolling, lovers of big voice belters, soul claps, and organ riffs that settled on the sermons of their high-stepping reverends like a hype man's cape across a shoulder blade. For glory, for his glory, the music has to be especially right that day. She is bursting with a mighty testimony. Her daughter Constance, whose belly had lain fallow for over a decade, was now over three months pregnant. Hallelujah! Well past those dangerous witching hours and oopsie months when a bumpy car ride could spell catastrophe. Five months ago, in this very church, the man of God had laid hands on her visiting daughter. He had cast out the spirit of barrenness. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. After, he would pull Glory aside and speak to her of serpents, of writhing knots in her daughter's insides, and of the agent of the enemy who had tried to steal her dear child's womb, of the spiritual warfare he waged to protect it. Later, she would try to tell her daughter Constance about those snakes, those twisty fists pummeling her from within. Oh, mom, Constance had said, sighing. I saw a specialist. Those were just fibroids. Thank you so much for reading for us today. Welcome to the show, Nana. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. And hello to all the previous women listeners. Nana, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? Hmm. I used to think that, you know, the stars and the moons had to be in alignment. And like, you know, the muse had to be upon me for me to write. And then I realized, like, you know, writing is, you know, yes, it's a calling. It's one that's full of magic and mystery. But to be a working writer, you just have to kind of plod through it every day, right? You can't have it be something where, like, you know, it, it's only when, like, you feel good or you feel like there's some kind of special inspiration. Yes, those moments are treasured and they happen. But I go to my writing desk every day and I have to, whatever I have to do to make that musicality and that music come to myself, I do. I read stories by other authors who inspire me. I read language. I try to pep my, prep my mind, depending on if it's the story, because a lot of my music, my musicality in my story and the lyricism is just who I am. 
if I if I'm having a tough day and I can't access that, I'll play music or something that evokes the cadences I'm trying to get into. So I always just say to any writer out there, just write even when the when that muse is not upon you. You just have to write, write, write. How do you nurture your creativity? Hmm. I I often you know, I, I put myself in the spirit of honestly being always in a spirit of learning and being in engagement. I am typically, and, and you know, I'm essentially my like default factory mode is, is curiosity. So I'm a person who, who has done some of the things that I mentioned in my collection. I've been to Comic-Con. I'm very geeky. I have a baby Yoda that sits right next to me on my desk. And, you know, <laughs> um, it's animatronic and actually has a little forced hand action and puts his little hand up and makes all the little squeaky noises. I love it. That's awesome. And um, yeah, so there's, you know, I've been to Comic-Con. I've been to the evangel- evangelical churches, these charismatic African churches I speak of. I've been to the village, I, mm. you know, so and all these places, I never come with a sense of, oh, judgment or confusion. I just let myself be in all those spaces so that it, it all allows you to kind of imagine these different worlds. So something that might feel extraterrestrial and alien to you can become your reality if you allow yourself to do that. And I've done that everywhere I've lived. Um, New York in particular is a vibrant city that allowed me to engage with plays. I'm a, a big theater geek, geek, so I've been to so many, so many, so many Broadway plays, starting from Cats back in the day, my first play, to off-Broadway theater, seeing Mindy Kaling in her first play called uh, Matt and Ben. It was off-Broadway in a little dinky um, theater. And that's just how I live my life, just going to these different spaces and engaging. I've been to Afropunk. My my um, sister's partner is a Afropunk bassist. So I, I do whatever... I'm interested in and don't and don't worry about those consequences like people saying, oh, that's not for you to do or you to engage with or you to explore or be interested in. I just I want to explore. What's your best writing tip? My best writing tip is just to write. I think some students come to me because I'm also a professor of creative writing. Sometimes students come to me and they're like, oh, I'm not a writer. And my sense is that you are a writer if you write. It's one of those things, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about outliers and that those 10 and outliers about 10,000 hours and just working at it, working at it, working. And that sounds mystical. But one of the reasons why writers are writers today is because they did a lot of reading when they were kids. I was this nerdy, introverted, blue stocking of a kid, and I was just reading all the time and writing all the time. I was like nine years old writing Star Wars fan fiction back in the day before fan fiction was a thing. So, you know, you know, you just write, you write. So now, you know, at this stage in the game, I've been writing all my life. So it's just one foot in, in, in front of the other, writing and writing and writing and reading and reading and reading, and then you're a writer. What about editing and revising tips? Revising is interesting to me because, uh, you know, a lot of my sentences at the level of word and syntax and word choice, they come out like, you know, Venus on a half shell. They're fully formed. They, I always love them in that way. So what I do with my revision process is focus on things that I know that I have typically had issues with and where I feel like I built, I had to build up a toolkit to get myself over some humps. 
like structure is never going to be my thing. I'm never going to, you know, say, hey, I had an outline in my head and I just moved forward forthwith like that. You know, it's always for me, the voice and the musicality, a narrator or a main character whose voice is so insistent, so strong and and leads me down this meandering path and tells me what they want me to say about them and their story. And they they kind of like set the tone and set the course. It's only for me now to go back and make sense of the the travels we've made together and try to structure them in some ways that, you know, makes the outsider or even myself, you know, it brings some of the kind of like points along the journey and makes them stronger. It makes them make sense. So I would say like revision happens after that initial spurt of creativity is done. Don't don't be that person. And I have been that person. Don't be the person who writes a sentence and you're revising that sentence as you go along or writes a paragraph and then you're revising. I don't really think that's helpful. I think you should generate, 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 throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and then go back and be in the moment, you know, do that granular type of work where you're looking at things, especially if you know you have a diff difficulties with dialogue as I did way, way many, many eons ago, I realized that a lot of my characters were like me. They had a lot of internal musings and internal dialogue, but when they had to kind of speak in person, I couldn't make all my characters sound like me, you know? It's like how, you know, you look at some of those um, those Hollywood films and, you're, and TV shows and you're like, oh, you can see like the, the imprimatur or the signature of the writer, like, because that particular, everybody speaks like that writer speaks, you know, and I had to go back and say, okay, what are the cadences? Let me be out there and listen to the cadences of people on the train. And, you know, so that everybody didn't sound like some daughter of an anthropologist professor and like, like I, that I am. So that was a lot of work to kind of push myself over that hump, you know, so like I could have, you know, show my personality sometimes, but it wouldn't be my, you know, my personality, my voice, crowding out the stories that my characters wanted to tell. So that was one of the things that I had to do my hump in terms of over in the revision process. So you, we all know that as writers, like what is something that we like, you know, that sticks in our crawl, that's something we can't get over. Do the work. There's a lot of things and resources online to help you figure out like to get over that hump. And then just go back after the initial work is, is on the page and just plug away at it. What would you say is your biggest writing challenge right now? I think my biggest writing challenge right now is trying to make space for my writing in the middle of a world that's gone all topsy-turvy. I think a lot of us, you know, we're dealing with a lot of anxieties around the pandemic, the uncertainty. Um, I had a dear friend who passed away of COVID last year. She was in the middle of writing a wonderful novel that I'm hoping I can some way bring to light in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But, you know, we are all dealing with grief. We're dealing with, you know, some people are dealing with losses of their work and their workspace. So all these things and all these social upheavals that are happening, you, you know, I've had to do a lot of work to guard my creative space. So sometimes that means like, you know, if I'm not up on every little thing that's happening in Congress or every little thing that's happening with like the COVID relief bill, I tell myself, hey, you know, you'll learn about it this weekend. Take a moment, turn off social media, do a media cleanse and just focus on your writing. So because some of that 
that, you know, weary spirit and that kind of troubled waters of your mind, it, it's not conducive to your creative life. So, and, you know, I know, I realize that's a great privilege. Not everybody has the privilege of kind of tuning it out and moving to that space. Um, and I just ask that we all are just really kind to ourselves that, especially in these times that if we're unable to, you know, make that creative space, just be kind to yourself and give yourself some grace. And, you know, this too shall pass at some time. What do you do when you're trying to overcome a block? Hmm. For me, I have so many tricks in my, you know, in my my little toolkit bas- or basket. I do a lot of reading when I'm trying to get over a block, especially because I want to get myself excited about the work again. And as I say, in terms of like just being art- artistically engaged and feeling creative, I often immerse myself in non-writing worlds like i'll go to the theater i'll go to dance i'll go to a concert um even just talking with friends i'll do things that move me around my body you know and these are all the things that like get me feeling like you know the world is interesting and alive and there's so many things that i want to say on the page and you know there's so many possibilities you know life itself is just full of so many hidden joys. I literally have on my phone, like a whole running list of interesting factoids. And, and they just like, I'm just, I just get, mar- it's a marvel, the things we do. Like, why am I running into things like Swedish, Swedish death cleaning? You know, <laughs> it's just random, random, interesting factoids that kind of get me thinking, hmm, I want to know more about that. I want to learn more about that. And, and there, you know, there you have it. Next thing you know, you're, that's in a story or a character is going through that process. So I would just say like, you know, stay engaged with the world. You know, I know that writers have a, a rap. We have, we get a bad rap for being a little bit of a hermit hermits. And um, the best thing to do is to get yourself out of that like hermit space and just be engaged in the world. And that'll get you back into that creative, you know, modality get your mojo back and that block will just be like block what block tell me about the relationship between your physical and mental health and your writing Hmm. i do a lot of work on my physical and mental well-being i'm constantly i'm like very granola and crunchy i can't even lie i have crystals and i have my yoga mat and i do meditation daily affirmations I think, you know, all these things, like, you know, if writers are a machine, we have to keep this machine in our mind, like, you know, clutter-free and running well so that we can allow for those other ideas and for those words to be generated. You know, your if your mind is, like, in turmoil and you're constantly wor- worrying about things that happened yesterday or things that are happening on the news, that doesn't allow for that space for generation generating new things and generating ideas and generating creativity so i absolutely do these like you know things to keep my 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 spirit and my mind untroubled um physically i can't say i'm that good i do have a yoga mat and i do yoga about once a week um that's one of those things that my mom is constantly telling me you little, you know, like I'm sitting there at my keyboard and it's like, my precious, my precious. And my mom is like, get out of the room. Stop reading and writing, you know, go outside and walk around and go into the sun. So 
what I do is I always try to make appointments with friends to do something outdoors because if you leave me to my own devices, I'll have, I'll just be sitting there with Coco and a good book. So I'm to keep myself physically active and, and engaged. You know, I'm, I do things with friends. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with publishing your work? I would say, you know, the publishing experience is not as quick as everybody thinks it is, you know, like between the time that my book was, you know, receiving attention from my publishers at Grey Wolf and and by the time it's now being published in 2021, it's been over a year and a half, right? You have to go through the process of fielding different offers from various pub- publishers and seeing who's a good fit. It's kind of like finding your own Prince Charming. A couple of them are coming with their glass slippers and you're kind of like, hmm, that's a little too tight. I don't think that's for me. So you got that Prince Charming and that one, one, you know, moment you realize this is the other people I want to work with. So you go through that and then you go through the editing process with them and then you go through the choosing of book covers and design process and then you go through dealing with marketing teams and what have you. It's a long journey. It's like a marathon and not a sprint. And I feel that a lot of authors, we don't necessarily know the the machinations behind the scenes. So we just see books and people assume that, oh, this just happened like, you know, whole cloth. There's a lot of work, even in just the writing process, you know, there's like all these things that percolate over time and come to fruition on the page. And then people see the book and it's doing well and they're like, overnight sensation unaware of all the many years of, of just like doing the work that writers have to go through. So um, that's one of those things I would just say that people just be mindful that, you know, it's wonderful to get, you know, to be in that process of getting your book out into the world, but just allow yourself to, you know, to be ready, prepare yourself for the process. And then even in that process, allow yourself for when like there's different goalposts have been met to just take a, a moment and, be happy in that moment that, okay, yes, my, look at my book cover. It's gorgeous. I'm happy, you know, take a moment and say, yes, I got that, you know, those last pages edited. And, and now the book is finally taking its, its fully realized form. These are kind of things that, you know, when you're doing that kind of long haul trucking of a process that publishing is, you forget to remind and remain in the moment to remind yourself that this is something that you want for yourself and this is something that you know you're giving as a gift to the world and a gift to the canon in some ways who are one or two other women writers or creators we should be aware of right now so it's interesting because i would what i was reading when i first was looking thinking about this question like i'm really reading yeah jesse's um transcendent kingdom and um, she needs no introduction. Yeah, Jesse, author of Homegoing. Um, I I just moved to Alabama last fall, and I'm naturally drifting towards books which feature its settings and books that kind of echo in our deeply constant place. And um, so, like two women writers are their friends and amazing talents. So, yeah, Jesse's book is, you know, set in Huntsville, Alabama, in some portions, and that's her own hometown. And my University of Alabama um, colleague, Koya Fagan-Maple, is also a wonderful poet and has a book that is a collection of gorgeously and 
ferocious poems about um, these at least 11 enslaved women who were experimented upon by so-called father of modern gynecology, um, James Marion Sims in Mount, Mount Meigs, Alabama from 1845 to 1849. So I'm reading Yah's Transcendent Kingdom and, and I'm reading Koya um, Fagan Maples' um, Mend and seeing these interesting kind of texture parallels the idea of motherhood and the, the ideas of of medical you know treatments and gone awry on black bodies you know there's even an, of some interesting parallels that i didn't realize were happening because that idea of like addiction and trying to navigate pain in these spaces you know you know sims the dr sims used to have all these procedures done on these enslaved women one of them like you know these three of them are named in his his biography the, the story of my life strangely enough when it's really the story of these women who were experimented upon but anarka one of the women who who went through those procedures she went over to 30 experimental um, procedures for her fistula and she ended up, you know, not having any anesthesia given to her during the process, but they would give her opium afterwards and that opium she became addicted to. And similarly in Yah's Transcendent Kingdom, um, the main character Gifty is dealing with the residue and the psychic hurt, hurt of her brother Nana passing away because he also was given Oxycontin for a basketball injury and ends up becoming addicted. So I'm looking at these books, you know, kind of bringing up the kind of idea of trying to deal with pain, trying to deal with loss and these, you know, and trying to, the idea of motherhood and family as, you know, as Gifty and her mother who is dealing with depression are, are trying to navigate the loss of the brother and uh, and son and I'm seeing these parallels so that's my recommendation uh, these two women writers yeah Jesse's Transcendent Kingdom and Koya Fagan Maple's uh, Mend are just astounding works and where can listeners find you online I am at www.nanainquetti.com that's www.nanainquetti.com nkweti.com Now it's time for our writing prompt. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Here's Nana with your prompt. Hello, fellow writers. I'm going to ask you to take a moment and close your eyes. You're closing your eyes and you're imagining your body. You're doing a complete and full inventory and you're thinking of all the things that make you, you. I want you to hone in on scars. Those scars are physical, yes, but sometimes they harken back to emotional scars that are going on and that we carry through our lives. And I want you to write and begin writing from the perspective of that scar or write about how you receive that scar. So this is an opportunity for you to delve deep and think about all the things that make us 
fully realized and complete human beings. Think about that scar, write about that scar, let that scar tell you about yourself and your life. When Nana talked about dropping into the musicality and cadence of her writing, it made so much sense after hearing her read. One of my favorite things about this show is getting to hear authors read their own work and sharing it with you. Nana and Quetty's new book, Walking on Cowrie Shells, is out now, and there's a link to buy it in the show notes. I'll also be giving away a copy this week on Instagram. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and this is Fierce Woman Writing. I'm going to put the podcast on pause this summer. I hope you re-listen to your favorite episodes and keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at Fierce Women Writing. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening. If I